turn to um, to the scripture. Um, we're going to preach from Acts chapter five, and in a moment or two, um, we'll hear that message being read in full. But it feels, you know, when when we began this series on Acts um, at the beginning of lockdown, really around that time it just felt really important to me that we would go back and we would listen to the early church trying to work out what it meant to be fruitful and daring and risk-taking when they really weren't in control of anything that was happening to them, but where they had to sort of keep on uh, trusting God. And as the weeks gone by, it's felt more and more appropriate because things change and you know, 12 weeks ago or thereabouts, none of us really knew what this period would be like. But during that 12 weeks, all manner of things have happened. And for some of us on a really personal level, we've had to face up to some stuff that our busyness had uh, allowed us to overlook. And some of us have had to wrestle with loneliness. Some of us have to wrestle with that sense of having to work in new ways. Some of us had to deal with our own families. I mean, those of you that are home, have been homeschooling and working, if I had a hat, if I had Julius's hat on right now, I would definitely take it off because to do all of that and to do it well, remarkable. And even on the days when you don't feel you've done it well, just to do it, you've, it's been really tough. But then outside of our own personal situations, we've seen other things happen. And not least the, the whole Black Lives Matter. Who would, have, um, who would have guessed at the beginning of lockdown that today that would still be so much in the news and so dominating headlines that the clash with authorities, the protest against the way things are. Well, yesterday it brought out the worst, didn't it, as well? The sort of counter protest. The, and I, I don't want to really mince my words, but the thugs who come out and um, just, in a sense, show the worst of what we are. When there's a protest about something new being birthed, it often produces a backlash. But it doesn't mean to say that what is being birthed isn't good and it isn't of God. We're going to read in a moment about a time where the early apostles are preaching about the possibility of new life. And what they were saying was not just on a personal level, though it was always on a personal level, but on a much wider scale, it was that fact that something new could be born here. And they were talking to authorities and they were talking about a, a nation and they were saying, actually, we could do it all differently. Something new could be born. And you would have thought, that the offer of new life would be deeply attractive. The idea that something new could be born would be really wanted by people. But the authorities who have the most to lose were the ones who kicked back the hardest. And so we're gonna read about that clash. And Maggie's gonna read um, the passage for us today. So I'll put it on the screen and Maggie will read it. Acts chapter 5 and verse 12. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, 
even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought those who were ill into the streets and led them on beds and mats, so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing those who were ill and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we find no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said, Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put him to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honoured by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do with these men. Some time ago, Thudas appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all of his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, 
they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Brilliant, thanks Max. This, in that long reading, it's almost like a comedy at times. So I don't know if you caught it right at the beginning, but there's a jealousy. So the Sanhedrin, sort of the, the local council, the, the governing body, if you will, at that time, they see the apostles being, well, everybody wanted to listen to the apostles. And it's like they were losing their grip. In, in, in a little commentary, uh, Tom Wright has used this uh, illustration. I think it's a good illustration. Imagine that um, you go to a concert hall and there's a beautiful concert being put on or, and a brilliant, musically wonderful band or orchestra playing in the concert hall. But outside, there's some buskers. And um, it quickly becomes apparent that no one really wants to go into the concert hall because the buskers are so attractive they might not be so well scrubbed up and they might appear to be a bit ramshackle, but actually it just feels so fresh. Just by the by, I was thinking about that, that illustration this week and those of you that are old enough, uh, do you remember the shock in 1976, 77, when the Sex Pistols came along? A group of people who could not play a musical instrument, who did not sing well, and all those good bands before that went before the bands that actually could play musical instruments, like Genesis and the Eagles and everybody else. It was like, no, they're the old ones. We don't want to listen to them anymore. We've got this fresh new sound. And that's kind of what was going on here. The Sanhedrin were going, who are, who's these upstarts? And so they... <laughs> It says, because of their jealousy, they arrest the apostles and they put them in jail overnight. And then without hardly any, any detail, we're just told that the angel bashes the door down in the middle of the night. And um, so the apostles, they're given a message and I'll come to the message in a moment. But the apostles go back into the temple courts, the very place they've been arrested. And early in the morning, they start speaking again. The Sanhedrin, they meet a reasonable time in the morning. And uh, they're all waiting in the courtroom, <laughs> waiting for the apostles to be brought. And it's like, where are the apostles? And then someone says, actually, they're back in the temple court. The angel rescued them. And so they drag them in and they say, you've got to stop speaking. It's a long passage and there's loads that we could say about it. But I just want to highlight what the angel says to the apostles. In verse 20 of that passage, and I'll read it just so that you get it. Before, verse 19, during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail, brought them out. And this was what the angel said. Go stand in the temple courts and tell the people all about this new life. And it was, go back to the very place where you got arrested, go back to the very place where they took you into jail overnight and be public. Go stand in the temple courts. This faith that the apostles were both believing in and proclaiming was public and it was a public faith. It was a message to the whole nation, to the whole world, that actually there's a different way of being. 
it's a message that was spoken to the heart of the country. Now, and again, apologies if you know this, but go stand in the temple courts. This temple, don't think of a, don't think of a cathedral. Think of the sort of the center point where politics and, and religion and social life all happen. It was like the big sign of this is who we are as a country. Maybe it is a little bit like, you know, having a, having a protest on the streets or going to Parliament Square. It feels like that. Go stand there. Go tell people there that the only hope for the nation is Jesus. In the place where power lies, where people are watching, where there's loads of people, go and busk. Be public. Don't allow yourself just to privatise faith. As I said at the beginning, there's so many things happening. And uh, I, I, you know, there's so much comment as well. And my comment is just one of my many comments. And it's not as valuable as some and is equal to the rest. But simply to say this, I think that what this virus has done is it's revealed some stuff about us. And I think at the end of the day, what we will end up saying is we need a better way of running society. And what we need is the only hope, which is Jesus. And for us who are Christians, who follow it, it's like, it's public truth. It's the only way forward. It's the only way things will change. Go stand in the temple courts. The second thing the angel said is, be clear, tell the people the full message of this new life. Tell the people, the ordinary folk, the worshippers, the workers, the Jer Jerusalem residents, the visitors, tell them the full message of this new life. Whoever will listen, tell them. Tell them about a reconciling God. When Paul writes later, he will talk about that in Christ, all things have been reconciled, that all that was alienated from God, all that was broken, all that was distant is now being reconciled by the God who sent Christ to die on a cross, that we might be at peace with the God who created us, who knows us and has a purpose for us, that that God is reconciling the whole world to himself. When we talk about poverty and we talk about reconciliation, we talk about wealth and we talk about race, actually what we want to say is all of those things come together in the light of this beautiful reconciling God and the message. You can be at peace. You can know God. Secondly, it's a life with purpose. From creation to consummation, our life makes sense. And earlier when we were praying and you were writing your prayers or your responses, part of the thing that the anxiety comes is, God, is this purposeful? What's happening to me? And the message of scripture is always, God has his hand on the beginning and the end. What is it they say about Jesus? The alpha and the omega, the A and the Z of the alphabet, the beginning and end. 
and our lives fit between that. And that's why the full message of this life, new life is that not only are you reconciled to God through the cross, but now you have a life with purpose. And it's a life that's recreated. What is the hope for brokenness? It is only Christ. A life that is brought together. Before we get to this moment where the angel comes and speaks to um, the, uh, the apostles, we're told that there's a hot spot of divine activity happening in Jerusalem that has been remarkable. So remarkable that people brought those who were ill into the streets. They laid them in beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. And it's like, it's not that that is ever repeated. But it's that people are so desperate. And God is so good that even the superstition of people is met by God's goodness. Crowds gathered from the towns around Jerusalem. They bring those who were ill and those tormented by impure spirits and they are healed. To whatever extent your personal life reflects, even in a little bit, some of that, your life, a recreated life then actually, you know, this is part of the full message of this new life. Be clear with people. It is about a reconciling God. It is about a life with purpose. And it is about a life that is recreated and can be. And I would want to argue strongly, it's not only about individual lives, but it's about community lives that, we can, we, that can be recreated. That actually, this is public truth. It's why, and we said it last week, and I'll keep on saying it, it's why if we want to say as a nation, actually it's not good enough that racial discrimination has been so inherent and so deeply woven into our society, it's not enough just to protest about it. What we do is we recreate life together, where actually regardless of your skin tone, regardless of your income, regardless of your age. You are not only included, but you are vital. And together we create these communities called church that reflect something far more beautiful. Be public, be clear, tell the people the full message of this new life. And I think that in the midst of this, as we reflect on what's gone on with the virus, as we reflect on what's going on, on the streets right now, we have a full message of a new life. And the third thing the angel says is be brave. This comes much later perhaps, but in verse 29, when the apostles finally are tracked down and brought back in front of the council, they say to the apostles, you've got to stop teaching these things. In fact, it says you fill Jerusalem with this new teaching. And Peter and the other apostles reply, we must obey God rather than human beings. And it's kind of like, it, on the one hand it can sound quite bullshit, but on another hand it's just them standing there going, do you know what? We can't stop. And we're not gonna stop. We 
you and I follow in this pattern. I think that's what God would say to us today. I want you to be public about all that this new life is about. I want you to be clear with people and I want you to be brave. Often for the apostles, it was actually, you know, we've already been in jail. Gamaliel's going to stand up and stop them killing the apostles at this point, but they get off with being flogged, being whipped. And it's kind of like, yeah, well, that's what bravery looks like. Bravery looks like you know how things might end, but you go anyway. Bravery looks like when the normal reaction would be fear, but actually you refuse to give in to fear. That's what bravery looks like. Ultimately, the angel comes and gives to the apostles a new commission. Go and tell the people the full message of this new life. It's like, if you ever thought that actually this situation is one where we're defeated, it looks like it's the end, the, apostle, the, the angel comes and goes, no, it's only just beginning. Now you go and you speak. This week has been a discussion about which statues should be toppled. But you know what? Toppling a statue doesn't change a heart. It's the message of a new life that changes a heart. Hearts that are only changed by the gospel. And in that sense, we are gospel people. We are gospel people who go, this truth that we hold to is public. It's for the whole, it's for the whole world. It's for the whole of our society. It's not just privatized. We gospel people are people who go, it's about a clarity, about a reconciling God who gives us a life of purpose, who recreates life. There is no necessary, no, no necessity to believe in hopelessness. We're gospel people, because we're brave people. Because even if it means it looks like we'll always be overlooked, we never stop holding to this truth, because there is no other truth so for you and i in your context what would that look like what would that mean 